Good morning. My name is Chris Vincent. I am just a member here at church, but uh, it's just my high privilege to be here uh, bringing God's word to us. Um, I got to start off with a Surgeon General's warning. Um, today is a very, very sobering message. I didn't intend for it to be such a downer after the Easter, but um, here we are. Who am I to argue with how the Holy Spirit moves in our lives? So today, uh, we are going to be talking through this topic of, of hitting rock bottom. When I think of my own personal life, of that idea of hitting rock bottom, um, my thoughts instantly go back to my youth group days. Um, when, when I was in youth group, it was probably the most impactful, influential part of my life when it comes to being a follower of Christ. I, I kind of came into my youth group when I was in high school, uh, there's a friend that I was really close with that invited me to be a part of that. We uh, somehow ended up at this this big conference in Niagara Falls, and there's a an altar call, and there's a guest speaker. And that night, I gave my my life to be a Christ follower, and it was just an incredible experience. The youth group was great. Came with like all these new friends, all these new people, all these new connections. And I think everything in my life, as far as the trajectory I, I went on. And in my life as a Christ follower, it came from my days being part of that youth group. What's fascinating is time goes on, just how that group looks different. Eventually, high school, like we all graduate, we all went to college, uh, different people went to different places, and it was always such a joy to kind of come back during the holiday breaks uh, you would see each other, you would kind of reconnect, and uh, for a lot of ways, you just pick up where you left off. Um, and for some of my friends, what you started to see was every time you went home for a break or every summer, uh, it would be these little changes, right? Uh, my one friend, uh, his name was Josh James, and he was, um, he was a drummer, he was a homeschool kid, great kid, and one summer, this is the, the second summer of our college years, we were home. We were having a conversation about church and what we're doing, blah, blah, blah. And he was sharing that he actually, this year, when he went back to, uh, it was Eastern University down in Philadelphia, uh, he was not going to church anymore. And so, you know, it's like, okay, that's weird. Not sure what's going on there. You're just kind of like talking through that. And and it's like, okay, well, you should. Like, you should go to church. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I should go to church. And then you see him the next break, and it's not, I'm not going to church anymore. It's, I'm not really even sure about this God thing anymore. And it's like, okay, let's, let's talk through that. And you have that conversation. And, and, you know, very mixed feelings. Like, it feels like we're going the right direction here after the conversation, but I'm not sure where you're at. And then the next time you see him and the next time you see him, it's just he's, he's taking these weird steps and he's going further and further away from just what we thought, what we believed. And then I remember there is one uh, break. I was actually, um, I was on the RIT system, which is, you know, the quarter system and my breaks never lined up with everyone else. And so when I wanted to go see my friends, like, it was never lining up, so I would go visit them during my breaks. And I was down there in Philadelphia because there was a few of our friends down there. And we were just having like a, 
good old party, hanging out, listening to music, that type of thing. And Josh shows up, and clearly under the influence of something. And you're kind of like, you know, what's going on here, Josh? What's your deal? Like, what's happening here? And he kind of just brushes it off. And and uh, the night got weirder and weirder, and he actually got into a fight with somebody, and um, and and you know that happened, and we we're just like, what is going on, with Josh? You know, it's just like this is not the Josh I knew. And then some more time passes, and nobody's talking to Josh anymore. Where's Josh? What's going on with Josh? And come to find out, um, it gets worse. And what was, you know, started off as not going to church then turns into um, Josh doing things that, that you just don't recognize. I don't know who that dude is anymore. And, you know, as I was preparing for the sermon, like our one mutual friend, I was texting him. I was like, have you ever heard from Josh and what's going on with him? And he's like, don't know. Couldn't tell you. It's a very sobering thing to see a friend kind of go through this, this slow descent. And um, the, the weird thing about, not the weird thing, but the truth is, um, when we're talking about following, a Christ, following Christ, it's a relationship, right? There, there's a relationship that we have between us and our Creator. And it is possible for us to just abandon that relationship. It, it, God will allow you to do that, to just kind of walk away from that relationship. Um, and, you know, he doesn't zap you. He doesn't bing you with anything and, you know, turn you into somebody else. Like, that, that, that is certainly possible. And, and it is possible for us to go through those steps of, of hitting rock bottom. And we can get there without even knowing it because it's these slow individual choices that bring us to that point. And so... Today, I want to kind of explore that, uh, that slow descent, uh, that story of Josh, uh, through another story in scriptures, in 2 Kings. Uh, the guys and us, we've been on Wednesday nights kind of studying through the book of Isaiah, and one of the things that was just striking me about, about the lead-up to the exile is just how disappointing it is for the Israelites to just get to this point where they, they are the chosen people of God. They have seen things that no other people have seen throughout history. Pillars of cloud, pillars of fire, bread falling out of the sky, water flowing from rocks. They've been seeing miracles. They have no business conquering the promised land, but because God is with them, they're just like doing these crazy things. And, and it's just like, how, how do you get to that point of, of knowing without a doubt that, that God is real, God is your creator, God is your salvation, and then eventually you get to the point where it's like you don't even know you're left from your right, and, and you're wearing two left shoes, and you're just all confused, and you're just going down, down, down. Um, and that's what I want to explore with you this morning. Um, if you have your, your Bibles, uh, I encourage you to, to open them up, um, turn them on, whatever you got. And um, we're going to kind of be in 2 Kings today. We're going to start in chapter 25. One of the things I want to do just to kind of help us 
B and 25 properly is just kind of give you some quick context and history of what's going on here. So where we are in Israel's history is kind of where the, the curtains are coming closed on the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. There was this this uh, this uh, exodus that happened from, from Egypt, and they took over the promised land, and God established them in this land. They were to be a land that honored God, and God was their king. And then through all these different things and different follies and different mistakes, time and time again, we, we go from a redeemed people out of Egypt, established in this land, to now the entire kingdom is just done. Where we kind of see in this story the point that we're going to be reading through, because this is uh, some narrative, so just understanding what's going on in the world is, is going to make it more, uh, help you understand a little bit more. But the northern and southern kingdom, Israel was split into two kingdoms. There's the northern kingdom, Israel, or Ephraim, you may see in your scripture, in your Bibles, and the southern kingdom of Judah. The Assyrian Empire, which is there in green, has kind of just taken over the entire area. They've conquered a couple of kingdoms up there in the north, including the northern kingdom of Israel. And they're kind of like the, the superpower that's on the scene. Eventually, the Assyrians get replaced by another big bad empire, and that's the Babylonians. Babylonian Empire come in, and they kind of replace the Assyrians and now it's that empire that is on the doorstep of Judah. And what we read in chapter 25 is kind of, again, the last days of the Israelites in the southern kingdom of Judah. We read the, the, really what is the ending. And again, um, it's sobering. It, it's supposed to cause you to ask the question, how did we even get here? So read through this with me. 2 Kings 25, verse 1. Now, Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. So in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole built siege works all around it. The city was kept under siege until the eleventh year of the king Zedekiah. Now, quick math. How long is that? About two years, right? About two years, King Nebuchadnezzar had surrounded the city on all sides. And again, these cities, they're not like huge, huge cities. They're, they're not big, and they're completely walled around them to protect them from invaders. And the king has, King Nebuchadnezzar is completely surrounded this city on all sides. Nobody is going in. Nobody is coming out. There's no food going in. No water going in. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine in the city had become so severe that there was no food for the people to eat. Then the city wall was broken through and the whole army fled at night through the gate between the two walls near the king's garden, though the Babylonians were surrounding the city. They fled towards Arabah, but the Babylonian army pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his soldiers were separated from him and scattered. He was captured. 
He was taken to the king of Babylon at Rabla, where sentence was pronounced on him. They killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. They put out his eyes, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him off to Babylon. In the seventh day of the fifth month, in the nineteenth year, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, I practiced that like 50 times, here we are, <laughs> commander of the imperial guard, an official of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every important building he burned down. Now, this, this scene that we have here of the king is just fleeing for his life with the army. They're captured, and, and, and most of the army is put to death in the plains of Jericho, which is very interesting to me. That where did the Israelite story begin in the promised land? And where does it end? Right there. And the king is captured. His son's put to death. And then carried off into exile. And then we read about the temple being burned. Um, the temple, if you don't know, it's, it's, it's the center of this culture. It's the place where where God dwelled amongst his people. It's kind of like this, this intersection of heaven and earth right here. Um, and, and God was there and his presence was there. And, and this is where the Israelites would go to, to you know, offer sacrifice to God. Um, it's where they would go to say, I'm sorry. And now it's gone. And these people that are hitting rock bottom they don't even have a place to say I'm sorry anymore. And so the temple is destroyed. The city is destroyed. Um, I had a conversation with Dave a long time ago of like, what, what is, the, what is the, the analogous representation of the temple in our culture? And I, I don't think there is. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it in, as, as far as us as Americans or living in modern times, what the temple is, is just something that is unique amongst all things, all history. Um, we cannot fathom just what it's like to lose the temple. The whole Babylonian army, under the command of the imperial guard, broke down the walls around Jerusalem. Nabarazaradan, the commander of the guard, carried into exile the people who remained in the city, along with the rest of the populace, and those had deserted to the king of Babylon. But the commander left behind some of the poorest people of the land to work the vineyards and the fields. And so what follows after this is kind of a itemization of all the different things they took away, all the things they carried out of the city um, as the exile is going on. Um, there's multiple exiles, three total, where folks are being shipped off to Babylon, and this is kind of the last one. During the last exile, the city is burned down. Um, everything's just brought to ash. Everything valuable is taken out. Uh, the people that are put into exile are the people that have any kind of skill, any kind of trade ability. Um, and what's left behind is, is poor people. And, and this is how Israel closes and this nation ends.
Go back to 2 Kings 17 for me. And let's go through the explanation of what happened. How does a nation get to this point? How does um, a homeschool kid raised in the church, going to church every single day, surrounded by Christian friends, how, how do they get to that point? What we read in 2nd 17 is, is almost like um, the author is doing a sermon to us, a quick sermon. Um, if you look before and you look after, it's all this narrative of like what's going on. This king's got this going on. This king does this. And all these different things that are happening in the, the, the nation. And then all of a sudden we turn and the author kind of just takes a time out. And in 2 Kings 17, it's, it's a short sermon where he's kind of like taking us aside. And he's kind of like, so this is what's going on. This is how we get here. This is how it goes so wrong. And kind of shows us what is exactly happening in the minds and the hearts of these people that brings them to the point where, where they don't look anything like the promised people, anything like the people that was redeemed out of Egypt. And so what I want to do is go through this part right here. And I want to encourage you to do one thing. Um, what we do a lot when we read any kind of tough, sobering uh, scripture like this, we start thinking of other people that need to hear this, right? We start thinking of, man, Joe really ought to be here today because Chris was speaking to them in particular. And um, for whatever reason, we never see ourselves in these stories, and we should. And we never look at these as, as an opportunity for God to speak to us, and we should. This is a hard, sobering passage, but it's one that we should read um, carefully and just recognize that God may be speaking to us through these different scriptures, trying to speak truth into us, because Second Kings 17 really is a warning. It's a warning. It's a warning for you and it's a warning for me to, to be careful and to watch out for certain things because these, these sins that we read through will take you on a wild ride and it won't stop until it brings you to a certain place. So let's read through this, starting in verse 7. All this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of Egypt from under the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now, stop right there. That's, that's actually a very significant thing right here. Um, the author wants you to know what about these people. God has redeemed these people, right? He has, he has blessed them. He has brought them out of captivity under the power of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He's the one that has redeemed them out. And now, what are they doing towards that redeemer? How are they responding to him? They're sinning against him. They're disregarding him. They worshiped other gods and followed the practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before them, as well as practice that practices that the kings of Israel had introduced. Verse 9, the Israelites secretly did things against the Lord their God that were not right. From watchtower to fortified city, they built themselves high places in all their towns. They set up the sacred stones and the Asherah poles on every high hill and under every 
spreading tree, and at every high place they burned incense, as the nations whom the Lord had driven out before them had done. They did wicked things that arose the Lord's anger. And so look at the picture that, that we're seeing here in this, this, these verses. Here are these, these folks redeemed by God in this land, and they start to adopt the worship of, of different pagan gods. Now, there's, the one that's mentioned in there is, um, is the Asherah pole, which is uh, a representation or an offering towards um, this god named Asherah. Um, later on, we'll also read in the same scriptures about uh, another pagan god, um, Baal, or more per- correctly pronounced, Baal. Baal. Um, for, for Asherah, this was a Canaanite god. And this particular god was the god of, of sex. And in this particular god, they demanded um, sacrifice of slaves and, and all kinds of, of really terrible kinds of practices. Um, Baal was another god. He was the god of thunder and sometimes associated with the god of power. And so, um, so there you go, right? What are they worshiping here? Sex and power. You know, just nothing's changed, really, has it? It's, it's the same today as it was thousands of years ago. And what you see in the scriptures, what they're doing is going up on these high places. So kind of like how we talked about with the temple, the temple of God was this meeting place of, 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 of the divine, of the creator, and us as a people. Uh, for those that are worshiping the pagan gods, where did you go to get close to your God? Just go up. Get as high as you can. That top mountain will go up there. That's how we get close to them. They go up to these top places. And, and what you should see in there is that they go up there and they do these things. And is it, is it something that's announced? Is it something that's talked about? No. It's, it's secret. These secret things. We talk about where this starts. It's, it's these secret things that are going on in our lives. These things that we think we have hidden from God, these things that we think we have hidden from our friends and from anyone that we're, we should be accountable to, and, and these, these secret things that we don't deal with, they, they start to uh, come into our lives and start slowly changing our trajectory. These secret things that we don't, don't give attention to and we don't deal with, they slowly start to pull us away from God, pull us away from the truth. And for the Israelites, that's where they started. Verse 13. The Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and seers, turn from your evil ways, observe my commands and decrees in accordance with the entire law that I commanded your ancestors to obey and that I delivered to you through the prophets. But they would not listen and were stiff-necked as their ancestors who did not trust in the Lord their God. Now, here they are doing these secret things, going further and further away from the path that God set out for them. And so he starts to send who to help them understand what's going on here? The prophets. Now, prophets, they're not you know, fortune tellers. They're not people that um, predict like, you know, who you're going to marry or anything like that, if you're going to find love. 
Um, the prophets, they're, they're, this is explained to me once, what they really are, and I love this, this phrase, they're, they're covenant watchdogs, right? There's this covenant that's going on between God and his people, and the prophets are there to continually remind the people about this covenant that exists between Israel and God. They're there to point them back towards where they need to be going. They're the ones that are supposed to help the Israelites see that, that we're, we're going in the wrong direction, we're doing things that we, ought, we should not be doing, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. Um, in our lives, who do we have that helps us kind of understand when we're going the wrong direction? Our wives, right? <laughs> I mean the Holy Spirit. Although I do truly believe that the, the loudest voice of the Holy Spirit in my life um, comes through my wife, I think. Um, I'm a blessed man. But, but we have that same presence in our life that's supposed to be putting us on the right trajectory, continually moving us on the right path. But where do we get in trouble? Where do the Israelites get into trouble? They stop listening. They just stop listening. And God's saying these things to them. He's sending prophets. He's sending them truth. And they're ignoring all these things. And, and that's a very weird place for us to be in, right? Doing these secret things, ignoring God's truth, ignoring the Holy Spirit moving in our lives, ignoring the prophets. But that's what they did. In verse 15, they rejected his decrees and the covenant he had made with their ancestors and the statutes he warned them to keep. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. They imitated the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them, do not do as they do. This is a very profound thing to me. Um, they're, They're worshiping these idols, and it's almost poetic, right? They're worshiping these idols. What kind of idols? Worthless idols. And then what do those worthless idols in turn do to them? They make them themselves worthless. And it's a, it's a very profound statement on the truth of idol worship, the truth when we don't deal with these secret things and what it does to us. It brings us away from our God, our creator. It, it, it is just worthless activities, worthless worship, and eventually you find yourself completely worthless. They forsook all the commands of the Lord their God and made for themselves two idols cast in the shape of calves and an Asherah pole. They bowed down to all the starry hosts and they worshiped Baal. They sacrificed their sons and daughters in the fire And they practiced divination, sought omens, and sold themselves to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his very anger. Now, look at what's going on here. Do you even recognize these people? Does this even sound like the promised people of God? Does this even sound like the covenant people of God? This sounds exactly like the people that they just replaced in the promised land. And it's very important to see this. Because where do we start and where do we end? It doesn't start with the child sacrifice, right? 
We don't start with all this uh, given to evil and sell ourselves to evil. No. Where does it begin? It begins with secret things. Secret things that are going on in our life. Secret things that, that we, we become um, used to, um, we've become um, comfortable with. These secret things that we look for validation about. And eventually these secret things take us further and further away. We don't listen to God. We don't listen to those who try to speak truth into our lives. And, you know, just like my friend Josh James, he just becomes somebody that you just you don't recognize. So the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah was left, and even Judah did not keep the commands of the Lord their God. They followed the practices Israel had introduced. Therefore, the Lord rejected all the people of Israel. He afflicted them and gave them into the hands of plunderers until he thrust them from his presence. So, like I said, very sobering message. Um, Bill's next week. I'm sure he's got a happy message. But, um, but this is a warning to us, right? And this is something that, that we have to be sensitive to. Um, I think this is a very weird place, but at different times in my life, and I don't know all of your stories and all of your lives and your past, but certainly at different seasons of your life, you can experience that, that dry spell with, the, you know, for whatever reason, these things, you just, your heart is not soft towards them. There's different times in my life when, when like last week, you hear that Easter message. And I think Easter is a very great litmus test of, of just analyzing where your heart is at. When you go through and hear a presentation of the gospel, when you understand the resurrection of Christ, when you understand that, that extreme love that God uh, has for us through his son, and when your heart is not soft towards those things, that's a dangerous place to be in because that is what happened to the Israelites. For different reasons, their, their hearts become hardened, their hearts become hard towards the truth, and it just bounces off of them. I mean, the prophets are speaking to them. Different things are coming into their life and speaking truth, but it's bouncing off of them. It is not impacting their hearts. It's not changing the way they're behaving. And these secret things eventually take you to a place that you never intended to be, and, and you find yourself um, at that rock-bottom moment. For, for all of us as, as followers of Christ, um, the warning is understanding that, that what happened to the Israelites what happened to my friend Josh James uh, is not something that, that we can say I've grown out of or something I'm too mature as a Christian to, to never experience. Um, it's a warning. It can happen to any of us. And, and like I said, I've experienced times in my life where I'm, I'm, I'm in, the communion cup is in front of me, but, but the impact that that is supposed to have on me, um, I'm almost numb towards it and shouldn't be and so we constantly need to be asking ourselves is my, is my heart soft towards the things that, that God has for me is my heart soft when it comes to the gospel the gospel is central to what we do here at Orchard for good reason 
And if for all of us as followers of Christ, the gospel is, is something that our hearts are just in tune with. The gospel is just, just reading through that story. It's supposed to bring us joy. It's supposed to just bring deep joy to us when we go through and we just realize that I'm a sinner, but God has taken care of my sin and has redeemed me. The story doesn't end here for the Israelites. And I want to kind of go through a couple things here. Um, what I want to do is, uh, let's go to the very, very end of Second Kings. Let's read through that. This is after all the bad stuff has happened. After the king is taken off, after the king of Babylon uh, has finally put to rest the story of Israel. And, and the walls are burned down. The gates are burned down. The temple is burned down. Um, by the way, not that hopefully this makes sense to you. We're kind of working backwards. But Dave, for the last like eight weeks, talked about what comes after this, right? And what happens after the walls are burned, the temple is burned. Um, and that's what we learn through the story of Ezra and Nehemiah. But look what happens here in verse 27. In the 13th year of the exile, so what, what just happened there, by the way, um, in verse 27? We just all of a sudden jumped forward 40 years, didn't we? So we're talking about stuff, temples burned down, blah, blah, blah. And then verse 27, okay, so anyway, 40 years later, of the exile, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the year of Awel Marduk, became king of Babylon. He released Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from prison. He did this on the 27th day of the 12th month, in case you're wondering, he spoke kindly to him, gave him a seat of honor higher than those of the other kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiakim put aside his prison clothes and for the rest of his life ate regularly at the king's table. Day by day, the king gave Jehoiakim a regular allowance as long as he lived. What's that? What just happened there? A couple things, right? Um, this is why the Bible is amazing. It does this to you all the time, messes with you, and it gives you this little thing, and then all of a sudden it's like the book is done, and you're like, well, now I want to know more, and the Bible is very great at getting you to read more. You know, it just it pulls you in. It, this is what the Bible is constantly doing. It's constantly saying, keep reading, keep reading, keep reading. Um, I don't know if you felt like that when we got done with the book of Nehemiah. Kind of a bummer. Um, but it's like, again, why is it doing that? Why is it kind of like, well, we didn't seem to get there, right? The story is not resolved yet. And what Bi the Bible is doing is, is keeping you engaged, encouraging you to keep reading, because eventually the story gets to a certain person that really brings the story, um, story to its, its climax almost, right? When Jesus arrives. That's what the Bible does. The other thing you should see here in the very last verses of, of Kings is what, for me, teaches us about the character of God and who he is. It would not be in God's character that when we do hit rock bottom, that God just is just like, I'm out, good luck, best wishes. Right? That, that's not the God that we know. That's not the God that we worship. He's a God of hope and wants the best for us. 
And so even though the Israelites are all taken off into captivity, even though the Israelites are brought off one by one, um, and they find themselves exiles in the strange land, God's not done with them. And the same is true for any of us in this room. Even when you hit rock bottom, and even when you're Josh James, and even when you're in that season where it just feels like your, your heart is just not soft, but it's, it's as hard as stone, God is not done. And he will take as long as it takes to bring you back, to soften your heart. And, and by the way, Scripture is just full of this conversation about your heart, right? Um, we're going to kind of end with this. But in Jeremiah, he just talks about this constantly. Um, you see this in Ezekiel too, and there's just such this focus on, on what's going on inside of you. The days are coming, declare the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with my people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant. Though I was husband to them, declares the Lord. They did these secret things, they stopped listening to my prophets, and they began to look exactly like the people that occupied the land before them. And it just it ends badly. But God says, I'm going to do something about that. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And to a nation that is in exile, to a nation that has hit rock bottom, these might be the sweetest words any people can hear. And for you, I I, I don't know your story. Only God knows your story. But wherever you are, God is speaking to you. God cares about you. God wants to soften your heart. and He wants to bring you closer. And so as we close, we, we have an opportunity to do that today. Um, as we worship God in, in closing our service today, it's an opportunity for us to, to allow the words of worship to soften our hearts and for us to gauge with God and, and, and just to be on the watch that we never allow ourselves to get to the place that the Israelites have arrived. Um, let's close in prayer. God, thank you so much for, for your word. Thank you so much for what you have shown us in scripture. God, I just pray that you bless all of us and, and just open our eyes. And Lord, that we would just heed the warnings that you've, you've given to us throughout scripture. Lord, 2 Kings 17 is for us. And it's a warning and, and it's, it's instruction to, to be on the watch out for things in our lives, to make sure that our hearts are soft and that any secret thing that we have in our lives is being dealt with. Just thank you for this opportunity just to worship you. Um, Thank you for mercy and grace, Lord, that if we are in that season, that your desire is to bring us back and to have soft hearts towards the gospel. We just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.